We're back in Philippians chapter 2 for the third time. And we're going to try and get as far through to verse 11 as we can. Let me start you off with um, just this verse here. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand, says Jesus. Unity is an important, important factor. In secular terminology, you may have heard of this phrase, uh, united we stand, divided we fall. And it's so. It's a case in every, every realm out there. It's the case in the church. And it's critical here in the church, we've been saying. So far we've said, uh, we've looked at the basis for church unity. We've looked at the conduct leading to church unity, how we're to conduct each other. And today, we're going to turn to Jesus and look at the perfect example of conduct that leads to a church being united, working together for the good of God's cause. So we've had the basis and what we should be doing. Now, ultimately, we're going to be seeing Jesus exemplify that for us. That's what we're looking at together. What Jesus demonstrates to be conduct that will keep a church together, working together, being effective, being safe in this world. So number three, the example of Jesus, the example of Christ, we're saying, is the key to church unity. The example of Christ is the key to church unity. So verses 5 to 11, we'll see how far we get through these verses. Number five, your attitude should be the same, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Paul tells us. He's asked them to be united. He's asking them to call, uh, to come together, to work together, be single-minded, focused. And he says, this is how you do it. I've asked you to do it. I've given you instructions on, on doing it. But now let me show you how, what it looks like in the most perfect example that we can have in your church. Here's what Gordon Fee, the commentator, says. Look, you could retranslate this almost, verse 5, to say this. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus has or had. That's what he's saying. In your conduct with one another, in your relationships, do exactly as you're able to, by God's Spirit, what Jesus demonstrates. And here, and he's saying, look, I'll show you. Here's what we see in Jesus. Here's what we're called to. So we'll break this up into subheadings. First one, Jesus, Jesus showed little regard for the benefits of his position as God's equal. Key point here. Jesus showed little regard for the benefits of his position as God's equal. Verse 6, here it is. Who, Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's a well-known verse. It's a verse that's, that's caused some controversy. We're going to look at that together. But can you see with the essence of what's being said here? Jesus, as God's Son, we're not to think of that as a lesser title, as something less than God. To be God's Son is to be one with God. As God's Son, He is deity. He is God in essence, in theological terms. Ontologically, He is God. God in substance, in every sense, He is God. But though that is the case, 
who in very nature is God, though that is the case, he doesn't, he doesn't capitalise on the opportunity, is what Paul is saying. He doesn't milk it for all it's worth, is what Paul is saying. We'll look, at, we'll look at that in a short little. Let me just go back one step to the beginning of verse 6. Who being in very nature God. If you've studied any theology or read anything theological, you'll know that those, devi- those verses are, are hugely controversial. Hugely. Can you look at them there? Who being in very nature God. Here's the King James Version. This is the version which obviously one of the oldest versions we use, has caused some of the controversy. Uh, The King James translates this, who being in the form of God, form is a translation of the Greek word morphe, there it is there, it's a close translation, it is, it's not a bad translation, as scholars say, who being in the form of God, can you see what that's suggesting? What might you read into that? Yeah, that would be a good thing to read, that Jesus is God, and, and, Lee, and that is the way we want to read it. If you approach the Bible negatively as a sceptic... It's a form, it's not the true thing. Yes, it's a form, it's perhaps not real. What were you going to say, Katie? Yeah, like, he's like a shape. Yes, can you see both, both... See, it almost suggests, and this is an early church heresy, and they used to... Used to snuff out people who held to these beliefs. It's an early church heresy that he wasn't really God. He just looked like God. He was in the form of God. In fact, it's one of, one of the leading religions of the world today. Maintains that position, doesn't it? Here's what theologians say. Although rightly you can translate that form as the King James has, it's not to be understood to be merely suggesting he appeared as God, Rather, that here is a person, a being, who is shaped by the qualities of God. That's the point that Paul is making, that Jesus is God-shaped. He, he is all of the qualities of God. He possesses all of the form, all of the attributes, all of the characteristics, everything that God is. And we're going to see in a short while that it is absolutely essential to proving that he's God. So... The first thing we want to say, this isn't suggesting he just appeared as God, but rather he had all of the form, all of the shape, all of the attributes of God. That's the first thing. We'll, do, we'll come back to more of that shortly. Secondly, Paul's point is this. Look, in verse 3 he says to them, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And now he's going to qualify that. In verse 3, he's telling them, don't do this. And in verse 6, do this. It's the way we teach, isn't it? We put over positive examples to emulate. So he's saying in verse 3, don't do that. Don't do it out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, do it like this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, who had the the perfect form of God, did not consider equality with God, that oneness with God, as something to be grasped. There is no position higher than God, is there? It's the ultimate position. It's superior to every other thing. And here's what's been said of Jesus. Though he possessed that quality, that position, that role, that essence, he didn't exploit it. 
He didn't use it for all it's worth, grabbing and using every last element of it. He didn't exercise it in a way that was merely or purely self-beneficial. Instead, he used that in a way that was for the benefit of those he loved, the Church of Jesus Christ, his own church rather. Here's what a commentator says, explaining it. He, though existing before the world in the form of God, God-shaped, did not treat his equality with God as a prize, a treasure to be greedily clutched and ostentatiously displayed. Can you see what he's saying? He, he, this wasn't something that he felt he needed to brag about or utilize. Let me give you an example from a kid's animation. Uh, I don't know if, well, look, if you've got kids, you watch these things all the time. Maybe you watch them anyway. Uh, okay, and then you, as, for whatever reason. But Madagascar, the kid's animation with the lion. You guys watch Madagascar, obviously the family, but anybody else watch Madagascar? Madagascar's brilliant. That's on the left. Julian the Eighth. So it's these creatures in New York Zoo. They've been transported. Uh, they're on the way to be transported to Africa to be taken to a reserve there. But on the way, something happens to their ship, and they get washed up on the island of Madagascar. There's, you know, there's a giraffe, there's a lion, there's a zebra, and there's something else. Hippopotamus, isn't there? Uh, and look, they've got no idea how to live in the wild. Eventually, they're discovered by these lemurs. Those lemurs are ruled by King Julius. The eighth is a self-appointed king. Now, uh, he's my favourite character. You know, all of all that. He's just so hilarious. He absolutely loves himself. He's totally in love with himself. Everything is about King Julius. It's all him. This whole island runs around him. uh, You know, submitting to him and offering him this worship and adoration and everything he says is right. And he's exploiting this to such an extent that he feels... It's beneath him to chew his own food. And so he has a servant, Mort, a little small lemur, who has to hold onto his jaw and move his jaw up and down so that, so that Julian doesn't have to chew for himself. <laughs> now that's the exploitation, isn't it? Exploitation. Uh, and so here's the thing that's been said about Jesus. He doesn't do that. Okay? He chews his own food. And he's got a set of teeth to do it with. <laughs> okay? Hey, Jesus could have. He could have stayed in heaven. He could have stayed on the throne. He could have demanded that we come into line. Instead, instead, He does everything contrary to those in power. He's king, but he doesn't hold on to his kingship. We're told he sets it aside. He steps into the world of of, of those in his kingdom. He humbles himself. He has a way, almost as a way, I say almost because I have to use this carefully. He almost abdicates the throne, almost. He lets go almost. He gives up almost. He turns down almost. He looks away from his own interests and instead looks to the interests of his people. That's what Paul is saying that we're to look at in how we regard one another. This is a true story. My first church was in a beautiful town in England called Tenterden. 
in Kent, southeast England. Uh, they call it, it was the Garden of England, uh, where much of the produce was grown. Great place for vines, too. Uh, a lot of vineyards there in Tenterden. I, had a, I was in a conversation with a local pastor over coffee once, and he shared with me this incredible story. Incredible. He's a Baptist church. They had a diaconate similar to what we have here, a diaconate and an eldership, and and there was just the one elder, the pastor, and several members in the diaconate, and they had this one member of the church who wanted to join the diaconate, be a leader of the church, a, a practical leader, a leader of the practical elements of the church. And he, he approached the minister and offered him £20,000 to, to hand into the offering of the church. He would pass over £20,000 if he would put his name forward to join the diaconate. It's a true story. You want to see how much I had to put forward to join the eldership of this church? <laughs> Two bob, that's all I had on me. No, but seriously, it's a true story. We'd expect that from the world, but that's an illustration from church. You see, it's not too far beyond beyond us, beyond me, beyond any one of us, to have an approach like that. To so crave power, to so crave recognition, that we're prepared, in the church even, to buy it. Look at Jesus. And Paul says, hey, remember, remember, this is a church where there are things going on. That's why he's writing this letter. Uh, This is contextual. There's issues. And he's writing to them and he says, hey, look, look. Don't do that. Here, look. Let me show you how to use power. What to do with power. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to use for his own ends. It's set against selfish ambition. So here's the point. Whether it's selfish ambition, self-enrichment, self-glory, Jesus shows us what the true standard is to be. It's not to cling to those things. Hey, who's in charge of tea and coffee here? Gloria, she's not here. And so some beautiful people have stepped into her place. And Gloria isn't fighting, biting at the bit, trying to get here to make sure the Pam doesn't take a roll. I remember when I was at Bible college, oh, is that you, Gloria? I think she's coming, actually, Pam. Don't tell her you're doing the tea and coffee today. Look, I remember when I, when I was at Bible college studying theology, uh, Monday was a study day. But like most of the students who are trying to pay our fees, we use Monday for working. So I had a part-time job as a driver. I eventually became a driver, but at first it was a hand in the workshop. And I remember my first day as I walked into the shop, that all these guys were talking, and the minute they saw somebody new coming to the factory, they all went, and went over and stood by their stations. Not because they were afraid of the boss, but because they wanted to make sure I wasn't going to take their job. Seriously. Churches can be like that. You know, have you noticed how Greg is hugging that computer station? <laughs> There's no way you're going to get in there. Forget it, Brenton. There's no way you'd get in there. You see, we can be like that even in church. Especially when people have 
are established in long-standing positions. One thing I did in my first church, I had a system, every three years, we changed everybody's role. Seriously. Everybody had a reset every three years to stop that kind of, this is my role. It's why it's good for a pastor to regularly have other people preach. Seriously. It's good in a church. It's why, one of the reasons why I do it. It isn't just to get an easier week. In fact, I probably don't work hard those weeks trying to do more visitation. But it's that it doesn't become mine. It's one of the reasons we want to encourage others to, to learn to preach and to be involved. Other people to come forward. It's why here in this church we have different people involved. Someone hosting a service. Usually it was meant to be Stephen today, but I told him there's no way he's doing it today because I'm doing it. No, it's been, it, it couldn't be here. Seriously. Paul wants his church to remember that this is a work for Jesus and none of us need, should be holding on to any of these things. And even as I say those things, hey, I know. I do the rosters here. Okay? And there is no issue in living with Bible Church with people grasping at roles here. God bless you. We've got a new family joining the church and over the next few months we'll see them integrate into different roles in the church. Katie's already begun to sing. Charlie's preaching the sermon next Sunday. You knew that, didn't you, Charlie? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah you give me your license. Uh, okay, and we'll, I'll, we'll stop roles this week. Okay? Uh, um, in fact, we can make a long term, if you like. Uh, look, you'll see them get involved in different areas in church life. And I know, I know, because I know you, that you'll welcome that. You'll encourage Katie as she begins to host in next year. You'll encourage Charlie as he gets involved, runs a computer here. I may get a bit annoyed with him when he keeps missing the slides, but you'll encourage him, won't you? I know you will. And God bless you. Can I, I just say this? Keep doing that. Don't lose that. Keep exemplifying Jesus. Because we pray for church growth, don't we? Do you know the single biggest factor in people returning to church? It's not the preacher. It's not even tea and coffee. All the singing. It's the model of Jesus. They see and experience in our fellowship. It's what brings people back. It's what wants them to be a part of this church. And so keep being that, friends. Keep being that. Jesus showed little regard for the benefits of his position as God's equal. And secondly, we're not going to do one more verse. We're not going to get any further today. Secondly, verse 7. Jesus humbled himself to a lowest form of human existence. Jesus humbled himself to the lowest form of human existence. Verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, be made in human likeness. This, this phrase, again, translated from the Greek, made himself nothing, is sometimes, sometimes in some translation, it says he emptied himself. Maybe that's what it says in your translation. This is something else that's caused a lot of controversy. This is a controversial sermon this morning, okay? Two points of controversy. He appeared as a man, we looked at it already, and that's related to what we're going to say now. He made himself nothing. What does that sound like? How does that sound? If you're reading that, he emptied himself. It's, it's a first century Christian cult. 
heresy that people was, were killed for. What does it sound like we're saying? He emptied himself. He stopped, being God. he stopped being God. Can you see that's how theologians are reading? Some theologians are reading that. If he emptied himself, he, he, he redistributed his characteristics, his attributes, he, he, then if he did empty himself, if he, if, if he was less than one attribute, let me, someone give me an attribute of God. A attribute, any attribute. Love, okay. Well, the most famous attributes of God, love. If he emptied himself of the attribute of love, what would that make him? It wouldn't make him God. You don't now have a being who is less than God. You see, it suggests that Jesus in any sense emptied himself, in any sense uh, uh, took anything away from who he is when he came to this planet. If he left anything behind, then he came to our planet as less than divine. It's something we have to appreciate. When Jesus, when we think of Jesus, the man Jesus who walked our planet, there was nothing less in him than there was when he was in heaven. There's nothing of subtracting. So you know this old hymn, it's a famous old hymn, it's a beautiful hymn and it's a lovely hymn and it's a great hymn, all except in this one area where it's absolutely, absolutely heretical. Listen to the words. He left his father's throne above, you know the hymn? So free, I won't sing it to you, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love. No! No, 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 no. Jesus did not empty himself of anything that he is. Instead, he added to himself. I'll come to that in a second. Here's what Carson says, and he explains it brilliantly, as you would expect from a leading theologian of the world. If you have a horse that empties itself of the attributes of a horse, you no longer have a horse. You may have a fish, you may have a cucumber, or even a pineapple, but you don't have a horse. If you take away what makes up a horse, it's not a horse any longer. If you take away Jesus' deity, any attributes of who he is, if he empties himself in any way, you no longer have a God. Here's what the commentator Gordon Fee writes. Christ did not empty himself of anything. He simply emptied himself. Poured himself out as he were. Do you see? Can you see how the subtle difference is? He didn't empty himself of anything. Rather, he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. We use this phrase a lot, don't we? He, he gave himself to that thing there's nothing left. That doesn't mean he's any less human, does it? He's still got all of his characteristics. Nothing's actually been lost when we say that about Brenton. We know by that we mean he gave it everything. He gave it his best shot. He, he put everything into it. And that's what's been said. He, when he made himself nothing, or rather he emptied himself. He didn't relinquish any quality. Rather... He gave himself fully, totally, ultimately. Paul's going to tell us later, to the point of death for us. Christ in his incarnation didn't take anything off. He added. To divinity, he added 
humanity. That's the Christian truth. That's what divides us from cults. It's a single most essential aspect. In whoever you speak to, whether it's... I won't mention the various names. You know all the different cults out there. The single piece of truth that separates authentic Christianity from a cult is this one truth. Because when you talk to them out there, they sound like us. They say similar things to us. They use Jesus' name. They even use a version of, our, of the Bible. And you, you're sitting there thinking, but they seem just like us. Maybe they are Christian. They're not. On one basis and one basis alone, the minute, the minute you say Jesus is anything less than God, anything less than God, you no longer have authentic Christianity. It's what makes you say, Christian church is the fact that we acknowledge Jesus to be fully God, fully God, and in his incarnation, fully man. Two things coexisting together. And therefore, when Jesus was on the planet, I don't know if you ever thought about it like this, we can imagine when Jesus was on his throne, he had control of the universe. He made the, the sun orbit the solar system. He ensured that the trees grew at the right rate. He ensured that the fish were swimming in the right way. When he's on his throne, we can imagine he did all that. But do you know? You know, don't you? Do you know when he's walking from Samaria to Galilee and chatting away with his disciples on a dusty road, kicking dust? Do you know what he was doing at that very moment? Whilst he was speaking to his disciples, take a guess. What do you think Jesus was doing at that very moment whilst he was speaking to his disciples simultaneously? Amen. At that very moment, including when he's on the cross, he was ensuring and ordering the sun to move across the sky. He was ensuring that every moon orbited its planet. Every, plan, every planet orbited its sun. Every sun orbited its solar system. Every solar system orbit its galaxy. Every galaxy orbited the universe. He was doing that. He never ceased to be God. He simultaneously conversed with people and ran the world. <laughs> Because he never ceased to be God. He always was God. He added to divinity, humanity. Colossians 1.17 He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Let me move on. So he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Be made in human likeness. And not a controversy. Number three. Made in human likeness. Again, people have suggested he just looked like a man. But we've said already, haven't we? that he, can, he, he maintained, retained all of his attributes. He was God, man-shaped. I think the point being made there is that he looked like a man rather than he looked like a, an animal or looked like a tree. It's not suggesting there's not an ontological continuation. He's just suggesting, just demonstrating that this is the being he became. Man. He looked like the man. He was a man. He was man-shaped. And this is where Wesley does great in his... In his hymn, he writes these words, sums up the, this truth perfectly. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. And so, appearing as a man, 
in the likeness of human. He took the nature of a servant, we're told. In Corinthians, we're told this. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have it on our offering slide, don't we? That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. Taking the very nature of a servant. Can you see what he did? You know, we talked earlier about not grasping at his position. Here's one who, who, who thought nothing of his privileges and instead became the lowest form of human. That servant there is slave. It's, it's the lowest form of our existence. If we know anything about the slave trade, they regarded slaves as less than human. You couldn't be any lower. And here's Jesus. Well, can you see what's being said of him? He took, when he became a man, when he took on a man's body, he took the lowest position. Okay, in Joseph's carpentry shop, he may not look like a servant, but in his conduct, in the way he conducted himself, he was as one as a servant. Remember what he did to his disciples' feet? He took, a, took his robe off, his outer garment, he wrapped it around him, and what did he do? He did the role of who? The role of a servant. He took the lowest possible position, conducted himself in the lowest possible way, though he was the highest possible being, and therefore set for us the model of how I conduct myself as a pastor of Living Word Bible Church. How does Montez conduct himself? As though, not as though he's a pastor. When you have a pastor who knows he's a pastor, you're in trouble as a church. You need a pastor who is nothing who doesn't capitalise on his position, who doesn't brand his position around, who doesn't utilise his position, who doesn't call in his position to get his way in a church. It's one of the worst sins that pastors do. They pull rank to get their way. And God have mercy on me for when I've done that. I don't think I'm standing here saying I've never done that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying pray for me, would you? That I never do that again. Jesus demonstrates what we do with power. We make nothing of it. Jesus shows us what we do with offices. We regard them as valueless. Jesus shows us what we are. Do you know what we? Do you know what I am here right now? I am a servant of the Church of Jesus. You know what Lorraine is here this morning? She is a servant of the church of Jesus. Lee is a, Lee demonstrated that this morning. I went up to him this morning. I said, Lee, look, look, would you go and get us some milk? There's a cow down there. Pull on its teats as hard as you can. Squeeze and pull. There's a special motion. If you get it wrong, you're going to make a mess. Bring me a bucket of milk. He came back with a carton with some white stuff in it. I'm assuming that's milk too. Okay, look. Lee just, you know what he did when I asked him to do that? He goes, who do you think I am? I'm not your servant. Couldn't get it yourself. That's why I went out for 20 minutes doing the testimony. No, you know what he did? He walked straight out and he came back 20 minutes later, staggering. Don't know where he went, but came back with a couple of pints of milk because he's a servant, <laughs> not of me. That was milk was for my dinner later, you see, Lee. Not because he's a servant of Montez, because he's a servant of Jesus' his church. Here's what Jesus said in a, in, a ser- in a sermon to his disciples. Suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. 
would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, you're the master, you've got a servant, would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would you say that to your servant? If you had a servant who was doing your work when he came into your house, would you say, come on in servant, sit down and let me prepare a meal for you? Would you say that? Of course you wouldn't. Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, you? Get yourself ready. Wait on me whilst I eat and drink. And after that, you can have something to eat. Would he thank the servant because of what he did? No, he wouldn't. You don't thank servants because they're just doing what they're meant to do. I never said thank you to, Jesus, uh, to, to Lee because that's his job. You're doing that next week as well, Lee, okay? There you go, see? Uh, there's a servant half for you now. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We've just done our duty. Do you know when we pack the church away at the end of the service? We've just done that duty before God. When Pam makes the tea, thank you for volunteering for that, Pam and Sylvia. No one's going to come. We might look, thank them for it, please. But they don't deserve that. Because Pam and Sylvia, oh Jesus. This is, this, is what, this is the point. This is what, see, that servant does that for his master because he's indebted to him because that master is keeping him off the street. He's ensuring he can feed his family. He's ensuring he's got clothes on his back. He doesn't expect thank. The very fact that he can do that is thanks enough. Can you see the point? When, when Sylvia and Pam serve us tea, as much as we will say thank you because we are thankful, God owes them nothing. Sorry, ladies. But God owes you nothing for that. In fact, you owe him way more than serving tea and coffee. You owe him everything. And you will be in his debt for all of your existence. Do you see the point? None of us are doing anything that really deserves a congratulations. As much as we do thank each other, and I don't, I don't want you to stop doing that. Everything we do. Look, we had the offering. It took ages to get, to get it done. We got there in the end, didn't we, Sid? But can I say this? You haven't given God anything. <laughs> Whose money is that? Whose world do we live in? Who owns a cattle on a thousand hills? It's his anyway. When Sid presses those buttons and when Brenton will put these chairs away and when Jerry and I last night set this place up, we didn't leave this place. Congratulations. Well done, Jerry. The church is indebted to you. I never said that to him, did I? I've never said that to him. Although the church is indebted to you, Jerry. God bless you. Because if you hadn't done that last night, we'd be sitting on the floor now. God bless you. But he doesn't deserve a thanks from Jesus. That's the least he can do for Jesus. Because Jesus did that for him. And setting up a few chairs, as, as appreciated as that was, Jerry, doesn't come anywhere near that. Hey, we are servants. Just keep that in mind. Work with our heart. Just keep doing what you're doing. The Lord bless you. 
hey, this isn't a rebuke. It's an encouragement to show you you're doing just fine. Keep doing it. And the Lord bless you. Our two headings. I've lost the headings. Our two headings. That's the second. And whatever they are. What were they? Can anyone remember my headings? The first one, humble yourself as Jesus did. I'll get it up, Greg. I've got them here. I'll just close with these. Jesus showed little regard for the benefits of his position as God's equal. Jesus humbled himself to the lowest form of human existence. May we continue to serve him like that. The Lord bless you. Amen.